Turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Um, we're going to take the next couple of weeks, like I said, to, to kind of tear apart some scripture that has to do with uh, specifically the birth of Christ in this important time of year for us. I think it's very timely for us. And uh, the, the first uh, scripture that I want to well, quickly look at, but it's gonna be, I'm going to be making reference to this because it's, it's such an interesting uh, kind of comparison with the conversation that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1 with uh, actually where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Before the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and talks to Mary about the birth of Christ, the angel Gabriel, same angel, comes to Elizabeth or actually comes to Zechariah, who's a priest, and he tells Zechariah that he is going to have a son. And whose son was he? Do you remember? Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was going to be John, okay? Now, John, we, I want you to look there. This is John the Baptist, and I want you to look there in Luke chapter 1, and it basically says there, look in verse 11, uh, Gabriel came to Zechariah in verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, as, as you would be, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. Verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine, bummer, or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be, bring, will be will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of, the, of righteous of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And look what Zechariah says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this, he says. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel says something very interesting. He says something uh, almost to the point where it sounds a lot like what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, God, or Moses says, who am I or who are you? And the Lord says, I am, okay? And <laughs> Zechariah says, the, uh, he says, how can I be sure of this? Obviously, he was doubting what was going on here. And look what the angel says in verse 19. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and not be able to speak. Big bummer. Until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Okay, so switch over, look at verse 26. And one of the things that I want to talk with you about this morning, and you're going to see it again here, is I just have these two points on the board that I want to share with you this morning. And this first point is one that I've been talking with you a lot about in the last couple months, and I want to continue to talk to you about it because what I want you to see here is I want you to see the intervening nature of how God works with his children. Okay? It's the absolute self-choice and independent work of the Lord to move in to the lives of his children. Moses was not looking for a burning bush. Moses wasn't looking for a message from the Lord. Moses wasn't looking to go let the people go in Egypt. 
He wasn't looking for that. Zechariah wasn't necessarily looking for an angel to come to him and said, you're going to have a baby and name him John the Baptist. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were in the hopeless condition, the depressed condition of giving it all up. By the way, one of the worst things that could ever happen in Jewish culture is that you wouldn't be able to have, or in this case, in a pragmatic sense, produce children. It was horrible. And they had given themselves up to this whole possibility, well, it's, it's just not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, it's going to happen. God has decided to do something with you and Elizabeth, Zechariah. And God also has now decided that he now intervenes on a young girl, poor, is betrothed to Joseph, but I know, but by no means married to Joseph. She kind of had the engagement ring on her finger. And God now decides to break into time and space and give Mary a message. She, he's going to mess her whole life up. And it's going to be so awesome, but it's going to be so hard too. And that's what we see here. We see God moving in to the lives of his children. Zechariah did not get to vote on if this was happening or not, or if he was going to accept God's message. Moses didn't get to vote either. We heard that this last week in our theological boot camp. I'll get back to that in a minute. But look here in verse 26 of chapter 1 in the sixth month. Look, look here, it's beautiful scripture. Just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, very, very soft kind of um, underlit conversation uh, between Mary and, and, uh, and this, this angel in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and to a virgin pledged to be married <clears throat> to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel <clears throat> went to her and said, Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary, it says there, was greatly troubled at his words. Maybe because Mary didn't think much of herself. We don't know. Obviously, she was troubled by the fact that there's this intervention taking place in her life that probably wasn't of the norm. Many people, by the way, many, there's different commentaries on the age of Mary. Some people date her as early as 16 years old, <clears throat> which would be quite young. I'm positive that she was very young. I don't know exactly the age. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, you're going to hear it, and it's going to change everything for you, Mary. But the angel said to her, Don't, do not be afraid. By the way, this is kind of typical, this message here. Same thing happened with the shepherds. Don't be afraid, right? A beautiful message for us in our lives. Mary, you have found favor with God. Verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you imagine hearing this message, this young girl? How will this be? Mary asked the angel. 
since I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, has, she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Look, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. And my favorite verse in this whole piece here, it's so beautiful, is this verse here. In verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And may it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Let's talk about this idea of this God intervention for a minute. You've heard me speak a lot about it, but it's an important piece for us as we begin to put together the theological puzzle and worldview of our lives. Many of you may have grown up in a tradition where you uh, were told that you actually could choose God. And um, I think that um, while I don't want to spend a lot of time on uh, that theological doctrine, I will tell you this. Uh, what we believe the scriptures teach is the exact opposite, is you invert that. And inverted means actually God chose us. God has chose his children from the beginning of time, a, a select folks, if you will, a group of people that are his selected children from the beginning of time, that we are included now as Gentiles into the people that he selected in the Jewish tradition. And God, in that sense, has his plans set on you before you were even born. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's no way out. Once God sees you and chooses you to be in his family, he's going to find you. You will be found. It's irresistible. You, God will run you down and you eventually, by faith, will receive Christ. And I think what's important about that is basically, Carly wrote us a scripture last week when she said, we love him because he first loved us. And when you, when you begin to put together the theology or the doctrine, and many of you would refer to this as the doctrine of predestination, when you begin to put together this doctrine, you begin to see that in the scriptures from Moses on through, God intervened and chose people. Actually, the Bible goes on to say in Romans that we're so sinful that we could in never way even look to God or choose God because we're so depraved as people. I believe it. I believe it absolutely, absolutely wholeheartedly. And I think it's important for us to see that we do have an intervening God. And God wants to act in our lives as well. He wants to continue to chase his children down. But he's the one who first moves into Mary's life. And if we were to look at your story and my story, he was the one who first moved into, into my life. It's like this idea, who, who goes first in the chess? The white goes first in chess game? White makes the first move? That's God. God made the first move into Joel's life through a, through a course of huge and unbelievable events. God made the first move into your life. He began to reveal himself. And all of us have those different kinds of stories. But he first moves into the life of us he first moves into the life of Moses. He first moves into the life of Zechariah. And now he first moves in, obviously, he first moves into the life of Paul in Acts chapter 9. He changes everything for Paul, who was called Saul at that point. And now he first moves into this beautiful woman named Mary. When Kayla, my youngest daughter, 
got into the, um, the car accident that you guys know we had this car accident, what was it, like a couple months ago now. And uh, she, she had been home for a couple of days and I was out in my man cave watching sports. And um, my wife um, came into the room and we began to talk about Kayla and about some of her emotions that she was facing as it related to this accident. And um, she, Shelly had said to me, because, and it was so funny because I was sitting there and I was actually, I had been previous, day, when I was up here, I'd been praying for her. And so, and I had basically been saying, Lord, what, what, is it, what is it that you, how do you want me to move in this? You know? And then Shelly came to me and she shares this story and she says that she's really feeling like maybe God punished her in some way that she did something wrong and so God had her get into an accident. God didn't want her to go, into, go dance in the nutcracker. And I'm thinking, this is a little girl. She's like 12 years old. And she's thinking these big thoughts. You know? <laughs> like, and, uh, and I was immediately, now get this, now get this, because this is, this is important transition for you. I was immediately and utterly filled with complete and just unbelievable compassion for my daughter. Do you, you, you get it? Just, I mean, like, like, it was like on my hands, you know? And I wanted so, so badly to go and, and speak into her life. And I did. And I got up out of that room, and in my sweats and T-shirt, I walked to the back of that house and she was laying down in the bed watching a television show and I went right beside her and I put my face right up next to her face into her ear and I told her this, I want you to know something, that I love you so much and that what has happened to you isn't God's punishment on your life. But God is in control of this whole situation. And he knows that you're his daughter. And he loves you. And it's okay for you to have fear. And it all, okay, do you get it? And, but that, that, that whole piece there was about a daddy feeling the heart and seeing the pain of his daughter's life moving from the front of the house to the back of the house to send a message Okay, Kayla was too young to come out from the, her, her bedroom to come to the front room and say, Daddy, I need you. I'm going to go back here and lay down. I need you to come give me a, a, a message. Do you follow that? That's what the biblical picture is of us in our sin. It's like we're in all, incapable of even walking to the front room to ask for that, but God sees the, the absolute pain of our existence and moves towards us with the message, it's, it's important for you to get it because this idea is the centerpiece and the beginning of your foundation of understanding God's movement in your life. It will hopefully, what it's intended to do is to produce this life of gracious thanksgiving to God that by his grace, he's done this for me and I'm shattered by the grace 
And as a result of his movement to the back room for me, now I am a daughter. I am a son. Right? It's a beautiful truth that we would see God as this first mover, this intervener. And I wanted to make sure I kind of hit on that with you. Because God here broke in to Mary's life. Mary did not wake up that morning and say, man, I wonder if God's going to show up, an angel is going to show up and tell me that I'm going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Oh my gosh, how out of context is that? It should set us up. It should tell us something, that God has plans that are just way more than what way more complex and yet way more crazy, whatever it is, surreal, than we could ever possibly think of. God does intervene. Now, before I go on to the, the next point that I want to hit on with you is this. Um, more than likely, right now, I do want you to know that I believe that the Lord has not stopped intervening into the lives of his children. He still does. And he does it in all kinds of strange and crazy ways. Maybe you haven't got the, the angel Gabriel to come to your life and told you how fortunate you are to be the mother of the Savior of the world. But I guarantee you that our first mover Lord is on the move. And I guarantee you that he has things to say to you. And many of the, many of the things that many of you are feeling right now as a result of your pain and the suffering that you could be going through could be the fact of the Lord wanting to intervene in your life to say something to you. Are you paying attention? Secondly, with Christ who lives in you, the hope of glory, one of the most beautiful truths that you should be able to gather is this truth. Because God was a first mover with you, you can now be a first mover with your husband. You can now be a first mover with your wife. You can do that because you have been given the power of the living God. You're not God. I'm not saying that. But you surely do have spiritual power to first move into the lives of your friends. And many of you have some of those people right now who need somebody to first move into their life to show them love, to give them the truth, how many of you have some people in your life that even right now, it would be wise for you to make a first move into their life to just tell them, hey, I want you to know you're cared for and you're loved and I see you, I see your pain and I care. What do you think? Is there anybody like that that you work with that's in your family? Would it be possible for you when you go back home to Pennsylvania or Florida or Mississippi to go back home and around that time that you're with your brothers and sisters, would it be possible for you to lay down the weapons of your warfare with your relatives and to move first into somebody's life and let them know how much you love them? And you can say that love because you've been given a love far greater than the love that you've been able to share. Would it be possible for you to do that? Would that glorify the name of the living God in your life? Probably so. Think about it. Pray about it. It's okay for you to be a first mover. It's very juvenile sometimes for us to think, well, I'll wait on them to do their thing and then I'll apologize, right? 
I'm not so sure. So there's the idea of God intervening, being this first mover. Let me hit on this second point with you. And obviously this is a very reformed point as well. I don't mean to try to make this just all this big reformed sermon. But I think it's important for us to see here that God chooses. God chose Mary, this second point. God chose Mary. She was young. She was poor, as I said before. She was female. And all the characteristics that to the people of her day would basically make her seem very unusable by God for any task. In the Jewish community, to be a female was not necessarily an envious position. Has there any, have been anything that has happened in your life that has made you feel unusable by God? I wonder if Mary thought, why would you choose me? I'm just this poor rural farm girl who has no money and no thing. Is there anything in your life right now? Think about the question. Is there anything in your life that would make you feel unusable by God? Do you feel that God could use you? What do you think? Is it your past? Is it your current sins? Is it your shame, your hurts, your struggles, your lack of ability, your lack of education? Is that all the things that make you feel unusable by God? Do these things in our lives have that kind of defining power? Or let me ask you this. Do you even, and I'll, I'll say that word, do you, do you even want to be used by God? Is that an interest to you? Do you want that? Do you think that if you didn't want it, God would not do it? Hmm? In other words, do you think that if you don't want God to do it, that then God just says, well, I'll just go relax on the porch and wait for them to want it? Do you think that? No, that's, that's how you and I function. That's not how God functions. God will get to you. It'll just be in a different way. But do you want to be used by God? Think about that. Sometimes I think that I'm so consumed with my agenda that being used by God isn't even on my radar screen. Yet Mary, God obviously saw that Mary, I think she wanted to be used by God. What did he see in Mary? It's like an interesting question. What did he see in her? Look there in verse 28. Huh. Then the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. Let me give you a side note here about highly favored, this concept of you are highly favored. I give you a great message. The angel says you're going you're to you know, basically give birth to the Savior of the world. And here's the, what the side note is, is about being highly favored. You know that God's favor doesn't auto automatically equate to pain-free living, don't you? God's favor doesn't bring instant success or fame for Mary. God gives Mary the tremendous honor of being the mother of the Messiah, but let's understand that this would bring about a tremendous amount of pain in her life. She would be ridiculed by her peers Everyone was going to know that she wasn't married and that her belly would speak otherwise. 
In today's world, maybe that would be no big deal, but in a close-knit Jewish community in the first century, the law regarded a betrothed woman who became pregnant as an adulteress, subject to death by stoning. She would obviously find pain. In Matthew's account, her fiancé, Joseph, comes close to leaving her. For those of you that have had a boyfriend leave you or a girlfriend leave you, do you remember the pain? And then obviously her son would be the rejected and murdered Messiah of all mankind. I just wanted to make sure that we knew that. I know we talk a lot about that, but I want to go back to something. And here's what I want to go back to, and I kind of want to end on this piece. It's a beautiful thing for us to think about, and it's this. What did God see in Mary that made him choose her for this surreal act of obedience? What did God see in Mary that made him choose her for this very surreal act of obedience? We'll look there at verse 38. And this is going to give us a clue. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. After the impossible plan is laid out before Mary, after all the ramifications more than likely that she could immediately come up with, including the fact of her belly growing big and not being married, and the ridicule that she was going to receive from that, how about the emotional pain of dealing with the fact of how she was going to raise the Messiah in her house? She actually says this, I am the Lord's servant, May it be to me as you have said. These two sentences I want you to know. Pay close attention today because these two sentences have haunted me this week because they say everything about her. God had obviously been doing such a deep work in her heart for her to utter these words. These two sentences, if we could ever in our lives come to the place where we would say them and mean them, it would be unbelievable, I know for me, but these two sentences of I am the Lord's servant and may it be to me as you have said. What does the first statement mean? Translated, it means this. I'm not my own. I'm yours. And the second statement basically means this. I trust you with whatever happens. I want to I talk about something here. And it's this idea of there's this tremendous sense of settledness with who Mary is. Because when you look there and it says, I am the Lord's servant, basically what that statement says is this. Pay attention, young lady, because this is a really good message for you to hear this morning. When she says, I am the Lord's servant, it's an identity statement. It's a statement that says, I know who I am. I'm not my own. I'm someone else's. Someone else is my master. And my identity is found in this person, in this king. It's not found in my husband. It's not found in my boyfriend. It's not found in my future. It's not found in my job. It's not found in my past. I am the Lord's servant. It's, an, it's a loaded gun statement that has massive ramifications for us and not just the ladies, but for us men as well. But there's a tremendous settledness to be able to say that. 
and I'm not so sure that I can say it. I am the Lord's servant, this identity statement. And then, of course, in the unknown future that she faces, faces when she says this, may it be to me as you have said. Well, that's basically a philosophy statement of all of life. And the philosophy is this, I trust you, Lord. Now, I want you to see that there because this statement doesn't say, I am my own servant, and it doesn't say, may it be to me as I have said. Now, that's the kind of life I live. The kind of life I like to live is, may it be to me as I have said. Do you get the difference? Shake your head. Do you get the difference? If you don't, it's, it's like the problem I'm talking about. <laughs> may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as I have said. Close this. I'm going to figure out my life. It's going to all be fine. If I get all my ducks in a row, everything's going to be just great. Let me count the ducks. Bing, ding, ding, ding. Let me get the list. Great. Let me have all kinds of clarity. Great. Let, me be, let it be to me as I want it to be said. Let it be to me as I want it to go. Oh, no, no. Let it be to me as you have said. <laughs> Gabriel didn't hand her a manual. Here you go. This is how you bring up Jesus in when he's 13. Oh, by the way, I just wanted you to know that, okay, I know this is going to freak you out, but you're going you're gonna to go to Bethlehem for this census thing. And the way you're going to get there is you're going to get there on a donkey. Now, your belly's going to be big. It's going to be a boy, probably, I don't know, maybe eight pounder plus. I know that it's probably not the most glorious thing and the most tremendous thing for you to go on the donkey there. But just, you just got to go get the census. And then, oh, and then when you get there, there's not going to be any hospital. You're gonna, and then you're going to go to this place and they're going to say, you don't, there's no room here. <laughs> what would have happened if the angel had said that to Mary? It was, like, it was almost like what you don't know won't hurt you. There's not going to be any room and you've got to go give birth to the Messiah in the barn out back smelling like crap <laughs> with all the cows hanging around and mooing and halos on their head and all that stuff that you see in the, in the paintings. You know, even the lambs, bah, Jesus, your Lord, bah. You know, I mean, come on. You know, that's not how it happened. Swaddling clothes, we think these beautiful blankets, you know. This one's, I mean, just probably somebody's, you know, tore off piece of, you know, robe from being out in the fields. God, did, God decided to send a Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel had a pretty cool mission. Gabriel came, he was obviously in the Old Testament, he delivered some news too. But he came and delivered some news to Zechariah, and then he delivers news to Mary. By the way, do you know when Ze he gives the news to Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? About John the Baptist? There's all kinds of fanfare with John the Baptist. Man, they had all the relatives over and the, the wine was flowing. It was great. Jesus, stable. We could look at that and we could go, what's God doing with that? Well, that's what Mary's going, well, I trust. May it be to me 
as you have said. Think about it now. Think about what I'm saying. Think about these two power pack statements. Have you been able to say them in your life? Mary doesn't demand the answers. Zechariah demanded the answer. And what happened to him? What happened to Zechariah? He kind of wanted to know more. What did God decide to do with him? Tell me. I read it to you. Shut his mouth. No, shut up, dude. No, shut up. I, I, I'm a, I love to talk to the Lord and tell him about my plans. But what the Lord was doing is, no, 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 shut up. And then, he, you know, I, you know there's, there's some, sometimes I wondered this last week, I thought, I wonder if that's what the Lord's done with me. Before I came to Nashville, I was in Colorado. After my dad had died, there, I, I experienced a lot of pain. And I, will almost, I could almost tell you this, I felt like the Lord was shutting my mouth. Like I didn't, I didn't have anything to say to anybody, including my own heart. And, I, and there's a part of me that I, I, I was asking the Lord this last week, did I have my Zechariah moment? Was I like him? You know, where I said, you know, you know this question or this heavy doubting, and did the Lord just say, okay, I'm going to shut you up for a while. I just want you to learn some things. Guarantee you Zechariah learned some things during his silence. Well, I guess the point that I want to close on is this. If I were to ask you today this question, because God, God came to Mary, and he basically, and he does this, and he has this with Zechariah and Mary, and he says, he comes to them, and he has, an, he has what you would call an act of obedience for them. You follow what I'm saying? I have something for you, and I want you to obey. I, I have an act of obedience. What would you say that Mary's act of obedience was? Think about it. And just to make this quick, here's what I want to share with you what it is. It's two things, and it's these right here. It's this right here in the, on the right corner of the board. Mary's act of obedience was, I believe, settling in, settling in to who she was. My identity, I'm the Lord's servant. And trusting in what God was going to do. What God was doing then and what God's going to do in the future. That was, now follow this now, that was Mary's act of obedience. And I would say, I would, I, would, I would give you this today and tell you that this is our act of obedience. This is what the Lord asks of us. It's for us too. Now think about this now. Settle in to who we are. Do we know who we are? Trust in what God's going to do which may mean you don't have, you're not going to know the plan, young pilgrim, old pilgrim. Got it? It's hard, isn't it? But this, this, this statement, that's what this, this means. That's good stuff for us to think about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this young lady that we've talked about today. And we thank you for um, 
your movement in our lives and the way that you've come in and intervened, and many of us even today, we kind of feel like you came in and messed up some things, and, and, and we don't know how to put them back together. That's, that's probably exactly where you want it to be because, Lord, you're the only one that can put anything back together. And we need to be put back together. We're, we're, we're a hurting bunch. Many of us here today would raise our hand and just say, we need you to intervene into the mess of our lives. Just, we need something very supernatural to just come in and in the beautiful and crazy way to mess it up with your grace and your truth. We need that. And I pray for my friends today on that. I pray that for many of them that would raise their hand for that prayer. I, I pray, Lord, that you would intervene. And I pray that they would turn an ear toward you and they would open up their hands towards you. Lord, I pray for that. I pray, Lord, for us. I pray that we would understand. I pray that um, you would help us understand what it means to even make a statement that says, I am the Lord's servant what it even means to be able to say, may it be to us and to me as you have said, Lord, what you're the king of the world. Lord, it's difficult for us. We need your strength and your compassion and all that you are, our community, to help us. We thank you in your name, amen.